Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Panic with Friends, Saturday edition. Not that it matters. People can listen to this whenever they want. March 21st, gorgeous day here in Phoenix. You wouldn't know the world was ending. The world shouldn't end when it's this nice out. I don't think it is ending. Some I people think might think so. The panic is, yeah. uh, I think we're a little bit lucky, knock on wood, here in Phoenix. The spacing of people is just so already so crazy. Yeah, we have good spacing in general. And what are you hearing? Anything? What are the, what's the news? You're checking the I numbers. I have not been listening to the news, honestly. Oh. I've been checking the numbers. Numbers are going up. I'm making my calls. New York hospitals seem to be, well, they're always crowded, so that's what's so hard. And, um, but I'm not hearing any crazy numbers in Phoenix yet. Are you hearing anything in Phoenix? No, but I think there's, uh, you know, from what I hear, the hospitals are completely unprepared. There's yeah. one guy who's put a video out. He said he's got it. He knows he has it. And he went into an ER. He's not supposed <laughs> they, to go they, to they, the they, ER. They, yeah, I know, but they just like sent him away. Go away. Yeah. Call this number. Oh, actually, no, that this number, another number. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. For people that don't have a network, this is a scary time. Yeah. The uh, Today I'm on Panic with Friends. Uh, I've got uh, a <clears throat> Toronto founder, good guy, old friend. He uh, is in our fun one, probably six-year-old business that uh, deals with uh, an email product for banks. And uh, so we'll hear his take on, on the panic and what the banks are doing. So before I dial... Um, I'm just having a senior moment. Blair Livingston. Before we dial Blair. Um, God, it's tough to be this age. Before, it's, uh, before I dial Blair, let's uh, do uh, the Koi Fin intro. Ready? So, yep. This episode of Panic with Friends is brought to you by Koi Fin, one of Social Leverage's portfolio companies. If you want to track, analyze, see what's happening in the current market turmoil, Koi Fin is a fantastic product. It's a web-based platform that lets you analyze stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, and other assets all in one place. I use it every day. Markets are closed right now, but I still got it open. I'm checking out stock prices. The uh, dashboards are easy, has a ton of high-quality data, powerful functionality, and a clean interface. Best part is it's free. And in a world where everybody's out of money, free is good. You can sign up at www.coifin.com. That's K-O-Y-F-I-N.com. Eventually, they'll have next update some portfolio analytics, which will allow them to start. <coughs> excuse me, can you start charging people, the right people? All right, let's get Blair on the phone in Toronto. <phone rings> Mister Livingston. Hey, how are you? Thanks for picking up. It's uh, I know it's Saturday. We're going to do Panic with Friends. Uh, Blair Livingston. I'm calling Toronto Canute. Have you been to Toronto Canute? I have actually, yes, about five, six years ago. To do what? Uh, went up to visit a friend who had a cabin up on one of the lakes not too far away. Beautiful. Um, Muskoka or, or? I can't remember. remember. And you didn't call Blair? I can't remember. I can't remember past five <laughs> days, let alone five years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, thanks for reaching out. We could have taken care of you. Blair would have taken you for good Chinese food. Fantastic. So, yeah. so yeah. the panic in Toronto, real, not, not real, where are you at? 
I think either Toronto is not panicking or the panic hasn't set in yet in Toronto. People- I think you uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say you go to the stores and listen, uh, you know, we had someone pull out a gun in a store downtown a, a week ago, which is very unusual for Toronto. Yeah. Maybe not so unusual for some American cities, but, uh, I think overall it, it's not too bad. I think, I think, you know, kind of the tidal wave's coming, but it's so far away right now that the tsunami looks small. But give it a few weeks as that wave approaches and we'll see whether or not people start fleeing the beaches. And the hospitals in Toronto, they, they, they generally are known as great hospitals. What are you hearing? Uh, I'm hearing a lot of doctors are being retrained into <laughs> ICU and uh, respiratory doctors. Got it. No, I think I think overall it's good. I think listen, they've canceled all um, elective or non-essential operations, mm-hmm. so the hospitals are very quiet right now. Uh, and what that means is that the majority of the doctors don't have their traditional workload. So I think the majority of the doctors are brushing up and you know, pulling out their med school textbooks and getting back up to speed on, you know, anything respiratory related, which this is, and hopefully we're in an okay place. And the nice thing for Toronto is they had SARS back in the early 2000s. So we have stashes of masks and respirators and all those good things. Got it. So Toronto had a, a big outbreak of SARS, right? Yeah, I think 700 died wow. back in 2003. Yeah. Um, and we were only really, I think the only city that was really hit in North America for sure. Um, and we were were on the do not travel list for a while with the WHO. Yeah. That was a big impact. So they, I think it was a big learning experience for the city and they they took a lot out of it. And, and so tell me, I'm sure you guys are working from home. So tell me a little bit about the business and your background forever, but for our, for our listeners, you're in Toronto. So just if people just, uh, didn't catch that. Yeah. Yeah, we're in Toronto, and we're very focused on the information infrastructure of capital markets. You know, so if you look at capital markets, all information travels over four channels, which are email, IM, phone, and in-person. Well, we just saw one of those channels get removed, so the in-person channel probably isn't going to be operating for very long. Now, does Zoom Um, replace that in-channel? Are banks moving quickly to Zoom? uh, We're definitely seeing a lot of it. Uh, I've been talking to a few firms who are just doing mass adoptions, uh, across. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, there was, I think there was a broad acceptance that Zoom was going to be the solution of choice, but now there's a massive acceleration towards that solution of choice. Like massive, like you're seeing big firms that usually take two to five years to do a platform switch, do it in two weeks. Wow. Well, it shouldn't be that hard. So, I mean, it's basically, I it, it, obviously the legal stuff, but I think, you know, people well, can the look compliance, pa- like yeah. you talk about it, you talk about a deal, on Zoom, like, how do you know that that's secure? How do you know that's not going anywhere? You know, people have all these auto recorders in Zoom now. That's true. Uh, you know, you're talking about an upcoming IPO. That's like, true. Is that recording going to go anywhere? Well, who the hell's doing an IPO today anyway? So it's like, yeah, con- <laughs> but I hear what <laughs> like you're saying, right? But those are the real reasons yeah, stuff is so hard. slow. Well, I mean, obviously, these are the reasons stuff so slow, totally. which makes your business totally. so hard. You know, yeah. like, this is, yeah. and do you, f- so you're one of the rare companies that it could be a positive for. Well, so the nice thing for us is so so kind of just to, to close yeah. the loop. Sorry. So what we do is we're email email intelligence for capital markets, right? So as people are sending emails all over the place, we help them actually understand real time engagement to you know drive more revenue generating calls to save time, improve the client experience, and help management understand impact. So as you can guess, people are doing a lot more emailing. Our email volume through our platform. So we send emails on behalf of a hundred broker dealers in twenty countries. 
to around 500,000 unique individuals at 70,000 firms in 178 countries. Right. So we do a lot of email. Uh, our email volumes over the last month are up 61%, which is insane for us. Like that's, this just doesn't really happen in enterprise, that kind of rapid growth. And yeah, I think, you know, the nice thing is anyone who is focused on intelligence of one of those channels. So I am email or phone or a blend thereof, which kind of Zoom is. I think they're going to do really well over the next little while because everyone's working from home. And for capital markets in specific, it's a whipsaw reaction. Like they weren't ready to go remote. Almost right. all the trading floors aren't even remote now. And I've heard stories where they're still like the guilt or the shame they're making them come in. They have to come in. It's not even a guilt or a shame. I was joking with a friend. I'm like, listen, I, you know, you know, I used to work yeah. at IEX and I'm like high frequency trading. The first two words of that are the most important words, but right? it's high frequency. Like <laughs> you need to have fast infrastructure. Right. right, like being on your AOL dial-up doesn't really cut it. Right, so they got to be in the <laughs> office. So going, so, go, office. so going back in time, let's talk about your past that led to uh, Street Context, which you know, full disclosure, social leverage is an investor in. But again, we're uh, your friend, so I wanted to panic with you. So go back to what led to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. So I started my career as a good Canadian uh-huh. at RBC, and kind of got to straddle both sides. Got to see. You know, on one hand, the information analysis side of the business, working as a strategist, so covered financials at the time. You know, put out all my commentary and thoughts and perspective. You know, Europe was melting down back then, still melting down, is what it is. But we put out commentary, send it out to clients, um, and all of that was over email. I had a distribution list. People could get added to it. That distribution list, by the way, was just an Outlook distribution list. Some people had Excel lists. It was, yep. You know, CRMs. CRMs didn't exist back then. CRMs so what year was now. this? Capital in the market, 2000? That was 2010, 11. Okay. okay. Wow, even that uh, far back, CRMs, that close? CRMs, just Salesforce yeah. was no. still, okay. But but even now, it's like, uh, you know, on the CRM side, it's funny, I was uh, in a very large ball tracker firm, and they bought a very large Salesforce license. The percent of users who had ever logged in to their Salesforce license was 21%. I mean, That's just logged in. Yeah. That's once. No uh, wonder the, no wonder just, the whole it, industry is dinosaur. Okay, so keep going. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I was at RBC, got to see the commentary side, and then also got to see the electronic trading side. And I think, you know, seeing those two, it's this massive bifurcation where you have one side of the business where the speed they're getting into now in trading is picoseconds. So to contextualize a picosecond for you, because anyone listening to this has mm-hmm. no idea what a picosecond is, mm-hmm. the ratio of a picosecond to a second is one second to 32,000 years. Same ratio. So it's so fast. You're saying you it's fast. Like, it, basically, they've reached the speed of light. Like, you can't go any faster now. That's why, wow. you know, they're joking about building a, a few years ago, they were joking about building a particle accelerator in New York to be mm. able to shoot orders through the earth because it's faster than going around. Wow. And yet, you have on the information side of the business, you have people using fax machines. And email is the number one communication channel. Me and Warren Buffett. <laughs> Yeah, but it's funny. I was actually with a PM at a very, very large fund, like a Titan PM. And he's like, listen, I had to get a fax machine because I get 7,000 emails a day from who knows who. <laughs> I've tried secret email addresses. I've tried new email addresses. I've tried, you know, whatever it is. He's like, I have this fax machine. You know, it has a number. Only three people know the number to it, and it works. That's insane. Yeah, so anyways, you have to see all these challenges and kind of both sides of the industry. 
And then I was very fortunate at the time to work for a guy named Brad Katsuyama, um, who is now the legendary Flash Boy mm-hmm. um, by Michael Lewis. Was he in so Toronto or where was up, Katsuyama? Where was he at the time? He, he was in he was in New York, but he's also Canadian. We actually went to the same university, mm-hmm. um, and uh, got the opportunity to go work with them at IEX and kind of learn all about building a market. Yep. And so one more time. So so Brad finds he. How did you find Brad again? So I was actually an intern at RBC before I started there full time. And then I got to meet Brad and he was like, yeah, you should come down here and you know join the team. And so you did leave. Yeah. So left RBC. And I think, listen, I looked around. I'm like, number one, I don't really like waking up at 430 in the morning every day. Uh-huh. Um, and number two, I'm like, listen, I think there's a huge opportunity. You know, it's kind of one of those things where you're like, do you want to uh, build stadiums or be an athlete? And I was like, listen, I feel like building stadiums is more long run opportunity. And I didn't really want to be an athlete. Athletes have to wake up before 30 a.m. It sucks. Right. Um, so so that, that to, for people listening, he's 300 pounds, Blair. He is a stadium. <laughs> Are you a stadium? <laughs> you have the body yeah. of a stadium. Uh, yeah, it's like well built, solid. You know? <laughs> Keep going, so a good stadium. Uh, so yeah, but I like that analogy. I, I mean, I do. Sorry, I like that analogy. Canute is yeah. a sta- Canute, you're a stadium. I'm a tower. <laughs> <laughs> you're a tower. Yeah. So yeah, I went to IX. Got to learn all about building an exchange and you know basically building a marketplace for securities. And then it was fascinating because working on all the uh, exchange related work and understanding the infrastructure and the pipes available and all these different tools, I'm like how has none of this made it to the information side of the business? While the electronic trading side of the business has massively transformed, and not many people know this, but it all started with the advent, uh, invention of a protocol called FIX, which stands for Financial Information Exchange, which was in 1992 with Fidelity and Solomon Brothers. But that basically led the transformation of electronic trading. I'm like, the information side of the business hasn't changed in 20 years. Wow. And we're like, email, it's funny, I think this is huge trend right now in you know Silicon Valley and everywhere else. Everyone's talking about email, 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 but no one is talking about the verticalization of email for specific industries. And if you look at email and capital markets, it's probably the most valuable communication channel in the world. That's a really good point. I mean, that's why I was intrigued because you know there's there is a verticalization for people like me, regular bloggers. You know, you use Campaign Monitor, Mailchimp, correct, or Constant Contact. They've built yeah. it for for brand like how would like they built it for commerce or subscription but they built it for everyone right like whoever yeah. you are you use mailchimp yeah. any kind of business any industry anywhere in the world right so basically street context is like uh, uh a mailchimp for the financial industry with all the bells and whistles that yeah. financial industry needs totally. yeah totally because the biggest threat to all these horizontal companies is over the next five years they die the death of a thousand verticals Right? Someone peels off financial services, someone peels off insurance, someone peels off healthcare, someone peels off government, someone peels off whatever it is, because all these tools are built decently well for every industry, but not specifically well for any industry. Yeah, so die the right? death of that. So the horizontal, horizontal, horizontal is a strategy, but yeah, the vertical is coming. Yeah, and horizontal makes, a strategy, makes sense as a strategy when you're, you're starting from zero, right? So if you have nothing, something's better than nothing. Yeah. But now we go in, we're like, listen, you know, why would you use MailChimp when you use Street Context? Because it's better for ABC, and we have all the industry specifics, like compliance, workflow, specific metrics, et cetera. And I think, you know, when you look at, everyone has thought that way, but I think there's two huge applications that haven't been verticalized at all, 
which are basically applications that sit on top of an open protocol, um, which are the email client and the web browser. So, so right? keep going. So keep going with that. So think, yeah. So, so think about that. The two applications that any person uses probably the most during their day at work are built for a university student, for a kid, for someone in finance, for a retiree. There's no specific workflows. And if you look at email specific, mm-hmm. Microsoft Outlook is actually just a killer bundle of applications built on top of an open protocol, which is SMTP. Mm-hmm. Right? So Microsoft Outlook is calendar, contacts, document management, collaboration, distribution, and a to-do list, mm-hmm. all bundled into one killer workflow. If you could take each of those applications and verticalize them for the industry, so build industry-specific collaboration tools, industry-specific document management, industry-specific search, industry-specific contacts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you could turn email into a massive platform, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's actually funny because everyone in this industry for the last 20 years has been trying to take down Bloomberg Chat, right? Everyone's like, oh, we're going to build a better chat. We're going to take down Bloomberg Chat. For those who don't know, uh, Bloomberg is a $10 billion top-line revenue company that is an unstoppable product. I heard through the grapevine that he takes a uh, hundred million a month as a, as a cash flow dividend out of the company. Yeah. Well, I know this. So it's, yeah. I know this because I've, as a venture capitalist, I get, a, I, I don't get as many pitches. Hey, we're the next Bloomberg, but at the same time, the world is changing and I don't think they have a death by a thousand cuts because of chat and because of the bond data and cetera. But, chat. Uh, but chat is the killer product still for them. Oh, because chat's the closed network. Yeah. Right. All the data you find in Bloomberg, I have no doubt you could find a very, very close replica somewhere else. Yeah. The big thing that Bloomberg has is it has its own private network and it has chat. Mm-hmm. And the problem with chat is chat is a closed network, so it acts as a fortress. And how many companies over the last 20 years have been like, we're going to take down Bloomberg by building a better chat? And who's the latest? Uh, well, I think the, the two ways would be Refinitiv tried and kind of shut it down, and then there's Symphony. Oh, right, Symphony. And I think... Listen, they're, they have a couple advantages to them right now. Like, I think, number one, the fact that Mike Bloomberg is running for president definitely means that no one is really at the helm. I think, number two, they have 29 of the 30 biggest financial institutions as investors. So that one for them. Number three, they basically have access to unlimited capital. You know, in the north of 500 million raised now. But the big challenge is that network. Yeah. Right? So why will people switch? I don't see the it. The beautiful thing about email, but the beautiful thing about email is email is an open network. The email infrastructure is open, so I could use whatever email client I want, you can use whatever you want, and we can still talk. And that's street context, correct? That's the vision for street context. That's where we're going. And how long have you been at it? Been at it seven years now. And how much have you raised, uh, if you can say? Uh, we've raised just shy of $20 million. And um, the the lead investors, is it for is it Formation 8? Yeah, Formation 8, which is now the rebranded to 8BC. Oh, 8BC, uh, right. Then we have uh, Inovia. Uh, we have 0.72 Ventures, which is Steve Cohen's uh, right. venture arm. Um, Portage, which is the Demeray venture arm. Yeah, I know those guys. And there's a whole lot. Yeah, yeah a whole so, lot of industry. So we, we share a lot of common uh, friends in the business. And it, it, it did you think it would take this long? Is it just the industry or is it? <laughs> I think people always ask, like, you know, are you where you thought you'd be? I'm like, listen, I didn't know if we'd be bankrupt or worth a billion dollars. So I'm like, you know, probably somewhere in between. Right. Um, but I think, listen, I think 
the problem with this industry is now, you know, I like to think about software now and kind of go to market as how wide is the desert you have to cross and do you have enough supplies to get across that desert? You know, because for enterprise, like big enterprise, like selling to big investment banks, it's like a three-year desert. There's one bulge bracket firm we work with, very large U.S. investment bank, who told us, they're like, listen, we don't use anything that hasn't been in market for at least three years. And our sales cycle with them was two years. So that's five years, right? Um, So the desert's very wide, and there's a lot of bodies along the way, right? Because if it's a three-year desert and you have two years of supplies, it doesn't matter. You still die. Yeah. Right? But the nice thing for us now is there's a three-year desert behind us. So good luck to any scrappy startup. I tell that now in, in talking to founders. I'm telling them now that whoever gets to the other side is going to have a massive gap. Like we, people make fun of Robinhood. I don't know if you follow it, but people make now they're having a joy because Robinhood was down for a few days. And they're <laughs> well, saying, oh, it's the it. end of Robinhood. I go, no, it's the beginning. Like imagine yeah. someone else trying to build what Robinhood built after a crash. You know what I mean? Yeah, Totally. It's so like again, now, they just put 10 years between to, them and a competitor because of the bear market. Totally. And the hard thing now too is Robinhood had to 10 X what was there before. Yeah. Now you have to 10 X Robinhood. Yeah. Right? I just like don't that, think, like I'm learning about up. scale. I'm learning about a few things in this panic is talking to my friends is, you know, finding out the founders who really love what they do and have domain experience where I don't have to call. Like this is the first time I've called you in a while because you know, you've just got your head down crossing the desert versus, you know, the fluff, which we all are guilty of. I mean, it was a long boom yeah. versus the fluff where, you know, the first week companies will go out of business because they just, you know, they've never seen anything like this. And for some companies, you can't blame them, right? If you're, we're not in the restaurant business, but if you're, for example, in sports business and all the sports shut down, I don't think any black swan that yeah. any model would have, you know, your revenue going to zero or a restaurant, you know, for two months or three months or probably six months. Yeah. So there's no model for that. So I understand. I mean, that's just bad luck. Yeah. Well, I think the hard thing is, is what we're now learning is the fragility of the revenue line. Fragility so of revenue. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like basically like a lot of companies thought the revenue line was X and it had Y tenure to it. But all of a sudden, you know, with a, a long tail event, they're realizing the revenue line is a lot more fragile than they thought. Yeah, right? And, you know, it's like, I think, I think it's interesting. There's kind of been this like hush, hush, don't say anything um, term about ARR. So with uh, annual recurring revenue, if you have cancellation for convenience in your contract, you technically can't recognize it as ARR, even though some companies do. And I think there's a lot of companies now who thought they had ARR, but it was actually MRR. And now they're appreciating the Delta as people cancel. Right? So it's like, hey, you booked this much ARR. How are they canceling? And like, ooh, it's actually this monthly recurring revenue. Yeah. No, no, no. This is shockwaves to, to many industries. And, and we haven't seen the second and third order magnitude of yeah. uh, those. I mean, those with great products and great founders, or like you said, like I think, if you have scale, you know, like a Robin Hood, that's yeah. great. Like no yeah. one understands scale. But. Yeah. Very few companies do, but for those companies without scale, this still is a panic that will pass. And and for those founders that can you know get through the desert here, they're going to have a huge advantage over the startups coming for yeah. them. Because even though their ARR is now MRR, if they have enough capital in the bank, there's no one going to be coming for them for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the the other. Go ahead. Oh, the sorry, other, go ahead. You were saying no, the no, other. No, no. 
I was going to say the other thing is like some of the, the playbooks that have been flushed out over the last five years are getting burned. And right? which like one I do think, you see the most? Which playbook? Oh, uh, I think the, the, the one playbook that was killer and I think would worked really well for a lot of companies is go to YC and sell to other startups. Go to YC. Right? Basically, yeah. go to YC. Every YC, every YC alumni will become a client. And then you can basically, you know, yeah, that was a bit of a Ponzi scheme. That was that, that was kind of like a yeah. little mini Cisco internet bubble because, <laughs> you know, remember when Cisco had all the uh, revenue yeah. and it was almost a, 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 a trillion and people realized, well, people cancel those orders. So the, the, the YC oh. model is kind of a mini Cisco model. Yeah. Where your where your ARR is, really is them. not. Yeah. Well, the problem is like the, the, the companies that are going to be hit hardest right now and are going to start a lot of the shockwaves of canceling things is going to be startups or strapped for cash, right? And all of a sudden, they're going to start canceling all these things, and then that's going to cause a, a ripple. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. I agree. And it was just a long time coming. So a lot <laughs> yeah. of these, a lot of these, you know, I look at stock, I look at some of the companies that were like, I always worried about, and they're just thriving right now, especially in fintech. I think I'm, I'm a little bit lucky yeah. so far. Um, yes, crypto, yes. crypto is going to have another, you know, bear market around tools and it'll slow down the whole blockchain issue. Like meaning everybody's going blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. It's going to eventually happen. Now we get the event. You know what it is? Zoom. Instead of like yeah. everything that everybody was dreaming of after this, we get a second crisis. And instead of uh, block crypto, it's about cash and it's us dollars romping and it's about zoom. It's like we're going to go backwards yeah. versus forwards for a while. And so are you yeah, seeing, what, and so how big is, are you guys doing work from home? How are you guys panicking? Like what was yeah, the, you're yeah, a, no, listen, I think, I think the funny thing is, is like I have a pretty strong founder network and venture network and like the panic flowing through the system is real. Yeah. Like VCs are basically like, we're not doing anything. We're not even talking to people for two weeks. We're just going to like let the dust settle, see what the world looks like. Yeah. I had a like a fractional CFO I know well call me. And he's like, you know, I've just seen three major venture funds back out of deals, you know, basically, um, you know, using this as a as a reason. And he's like, yeah, we're seeing like no capital access. He's like, you should basically uh, expect no capital access till the end of the year. Um, so I think the panic is very real. I think um, I don't know if you saw in Canada, but you know, on a normal week this time of year, we hit, last year we had twenty five thousand. Um, EI claims like employment insurance. Mm-hmm. Last week we had five hundred thousand. Um, so like we, you know, twenty x to the number, mm-hmm. and I think next next week it's going to be two to four x that number. Um, so yeah, yeah. And Trudeau, Trudeau, like, like Trump. Trump. I mean, you guys, we both have knuckleheads. <laughs> well, I think the, the the irony of all of this is like. Um, uh, you know, he's in isolation and like, you know, so he should be, but it's kind of, it's hard because now he's, you know, he's doing everything from his house because his wife went to Britain and came back and tested positive. Um, and I think, I think it's hard because it just seems like no one has the will to act strongly and decisively. Quickly. It used to be the government yeah. would just shut shit down and you'd complain about the government. Yeah. And I'm saying that this time yeah. no one believes like crying wolf. No one, yeah. we're looking to the government to do the one thing that it would just, at least be you know, wrong or right. It would, it, we all complain, but it would be like, Hey, yeah. we're the government. We, we do a couple things stupid a year. This is one of them. Yeah. Uh, get the fuck in your house, yeah. you know? And yeah. Or economically, right? Like, I don't know if you saw, but Denmark just announced I think this morning, they're going to pay for the next month or what, three months, 
75% of all private sector wages. How do they do that? I mean, so a like, small country can do that. So how do they do that, do yeah. you think? How do they actually get the money? Oh, you don't know. Okay. But, but I think I think I think the reality is is the uh, Netherlands is doing that too. Like, I think Netherlands is like a hundred percent. But yeah, keep going. Yeah. But they're probably looking at the the model and being like, this actually costs less long term. Yeah. Because yeah. listen, a, po- a portion of that they're getting back immediately as tax, right? Like, you Good know, point. so seventy five percent actually, you know, fifty to forty percent. And that money um, will be pent up to be spent later too. Yeah, and if those people get fired, there's no tax. So there's an argument to say like. It's going to cost us thirty to forty percent of this money, anyways, if these people get fired, because we're not going to get the tax. Yeah. So let's at least keep them employed for the next three months and see what happens. Yeah. Have you been through like, a panic before? Like, I guess oh eight. Well, no. Well, this is what I was saying. I was in oh eight. I was going to university, okay, um, and I'm like, listen, and, and yeah, anyone who's been working for what less than thirteen years, twelve years, mm-hmm. like this is the first non bull market, and and I think even more macro, and I think this applies all the way back to boomers. I'm like, listen, for anyone who's a, a post-World War II uh, person, like, this is the first global panic, right? Like, this is, like, you know, what's happened since between now and then that actually shook the world? Uh, you know, there's been, of course, 9-11, there's been 2008, there was the Vietnam War, the Korean War, et cetera. But nothing has been like a the entire global economy and the entire global population is under siege. And I think it's terrifying for people. As it should be. And so what are you telling your team? Obviously, you're going to have to do some cutting. I mean, we can't talk about that because your team may be listening. But uh, <laughs> what do you, what, in crisis management, what, like what's, and are you getting any advice on crisis management? You know, the number listen, one thing that I, think, I, I heard is overcorrect. Like, yeah. That makes the most listen, sense to I, yeah. me. Yeah. I think, listen, I think the benefit for us is, you know, right now, number one, we actually have a really strong deal pipeline that we're closing next month. And all these deals are baked enough with big enterprises that they're going to close. So that's a positive for us, right? Like basically, like if you get a Fortune 100 company to get, you know, down to contract negotiation, they're not canceling it. Like the budget's been allocated, the process is done. You did. Right. On the team size, we've actually been able to build a pretty lean team. You know, we're only thirty something people, right? So like we don't have a massive overhead burn. Um, so like I actually I'm doing a bunch of different things right now. And we were actually, you know, in the process of doing a, uh, a, a small capital raise just to run a few project experiments anyway. So we actually ended up being well ahead of the game because um, we're wrapping that up right now. But I, I'm, I'm hoping actually that we'll keep the team largely as it is. Because again, with 30 people, we don't have a huge burn. We have a really solid revenue line. You know, we had negative 26% churn last year. Like, you know, we explain to we people what that means. Money. That means people tell other people, meaning, yeah, yeah, basically within our accounts, um, you know, so of our existing accounts, our average account grew by 26% last year. Yeah, those are great when those happen. And we see, I'm seeing that in some yeah. of my e commerce, yeah. DTC brands, but yeah. that's just, yeah. you know, yeah. I think people are just going to have to hunker. And are you doing work from home? Yeah, so we went full work from home. That was weird. Uh, I'm not a big work from home person anyways, mm-hmm. but just like the first two days felt like, you know, like it was a bluster and a shock. And now I think we're finally getting back into it and doing lots of video meetings and all those good things. But, um, yeah, we went full work from home and like, listen, like I think, you know, this, this is where I think also the, the seniority and kind of quality of the team will shine through mm-hmm. because you'll have people who are, you know, well-disciplined and able to work from home effectively. And then you'll have people who end up, you know, playing video games and going on YouTube all day. And I think like that's where you're going to see a big delta in, you know, teams and, and kind of which teams can keep being productive. Mm-hmm. 
But I think the interesting thing I said to our team is I'm like, listen, in this time of external chaos, this is a great opportunity to fix internal issues. So all those things we put on the back burner, all those processes we want to improve, all that tech debt we want to pay off, like, let's do that now. Hmm. That's good Good advice. Like I said, overcorrect, focus on one thing. And if that's just getting your own ship in order, and you, you, as a leader, your, your job is to make sure you don't run out of money. Which, you're, which you oh. were ahead of the curve on. I try and tell founders, they have one job. They never get to work on the things they like to work. But, uh, <laughs> well, you don't. I mean, that was the one thing I hated about stock twits is like, uh, I, 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 you know, but we never could, you know, my job is make sure we don't run out of money. And, oh. and uh, eventually that means you have to build a business, of course, and choose a business. It may not be even the business you like because your job is not to run out of money. Um but the second thing is, like you said, is like you can't, in this time, you know, you don't have to launch 50 things. Like in a time of crisis, yeah. you only have to really focus on one or two things because getting out the other side is all that matters. Yeah. Well, and I think it's like, you know, let, let's, let's appreciate what will be true in this. You know, getting new clients will be very, very difficult. Yeah. Working with existing clients is where the low-hanging fruit is. And that's where the opportunity is. So it's like, what can you do with your existing clients? So we actually did a promotion where, we went to all of our existing clients and we said, listen, anyone who wants a street context license for the next hundred days during coronavirus can have one. Smart. And we've had massive uptake. And it seems to be something everyone's doing now. Like I literally got a, you know, email from like the coffee shop around the corner. I was like, Hey, for the next hundred days, you get a free coffee if you come in. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's worked really well for us. And it's just, what, what can you do given the reality we're in? What, what are the things you can do and what, what should you not even try to do? And who do you get mentorship from? Um, so I've actually had a huge, uh, opportunity. There's, uh, there's an organization called YPO. I'm not part of YPO, but I joined it's a the cult. You know that. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm not in the cult, <laughs> but I'm in a group based on the cult. So oh, it's a side uh, cult. It's something, yeah, exactly. It's like a ripoff cult. We're like, you know, the Pepsi cult. Cheap cult. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's so but Canadian. It's, yeah. We got a side cult. <laughs> yeah. It's a little nicer. Yeah. Uh, We're friendly. Um, but there's eight other members in it, uh, founders in Toronto. We meet once a month for half a day. Mm -hmm. We kind of have ongoing, you know, we do something social once a month as well. And it's good. We just talk about, you know, life and work and family. And, and I'd say it's actually not just work, which is nice. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the other thing I've done is I've stocked up on a lot of books from other crises, from other startup stories. Um, so ones like Burn Rate. I don't know if you haven't read that by Michael sure. Wolf. Mm -hmm. uh, the PayPal Wars. Um, you know, just other books of how companies got through hard times. I read Hard Drive, which is the Bill Gates story, which has lots of ups and downs. Um, you know, just the everything store, uh, just reading about kind of what, what you realize is like, listen, you know, what, what's still true is like, listen, every company goes through crises, every economy goes through crises, every country goes through crises. Like the reality is, is this is just another crisis of a different magnitude, mm -hmm. but you know, it's not like this is the last crisis and it's not like this is the first crisis. No. And so what do you, uh, what do you think's on the other side? What, what excites you if you, cause you invest a little bit and you obviously have a yeah. ginormous brain. So what excites you? Listen, I think, I mean, you don't I have the time and it, people know that, but like what you, you're smart. So what, what do you think's interesting? Listen, I think this is, this is just only going to further demonstrate how powerful the economics are of software companies versus traditional businesses. Correct. Right? Software companies all of a sudden are like, oh, no, no, we just get paid tomorrow because we were paid today. Yep. And transactional businesses are like, uh, what does that even mean? We have to lay off 70% of our company. 
Um, you know, like all the, like, I, so I think it's going to be a massive bull market again for software companies on the other side of this. So like, listen, if something like Corona does happen again, who's well positioned? Software mm-hmm. company. Yeah. Right. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity there. I think, you know, there's still a lot of, a lot of low hanging fruit in fintech. I think once you get outside of consumer banking. Yeah. Don't tell people because I don't want people to know. That's a side call. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Shut uh, up. Yeah. <laughs> That's for the private <laughs> podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's podcast with Howie. Yeah. Where I just yeah. put it into my oh. AI machine. Yeah. No, but you can you can yeah, talk exactly. about fintech because I want to. You and I yeah. have such strong opinions yeah, about listen. this stuff. I think there's still tons. Like, listen, I think it's actually funny. I don't know if you saw. So you know, Morgan Stanley bought uh, E-Trade in yeah. last year. Morgan that was a nice Solium. Tech. The Solium oh, was smart, man. but the E-Trade was weird. I think, but I think the E-Trade. I think they're going to try to build a marketplace for private shares. Oh, right? well, absolutely. No, no, no. I mean, Carta's, Carta's on fire, so they got to try something. I give them credit. Yeah, but the difference is, is Carta can't monetize things the way Morgan Stanley can. Apparently hey, Morgan man, I agree. I mean, Solium was a genius Carter. acquisition. Genius. Because we're, cause we're investors in SecFi. This is kind of like a, a, a mini Solium, yeah. right? Which is just a corner I, but, of it. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm like, how has no other global financial institution bought Carta yet? Like I know they're doing lots of exciting things on the private marketplace, but it's, yeah, totally. It's, totally. it's like, it's yeah. like, listen, Morgan Stanley wrote the playbook. <laughs> like it's there. You just do what they did. Well, Andreessen, you know, I've kind of had it in my head. The playbook is right. Like I, like yeah. Angelus could have done this, but now Carta kind of shot past them. And Andreessen has a piece of all these things. And, and now Andreessen had their people do RIAs. So you're going to tie in, you know, pre-wealth, wealth management, uh, investing, uh, private equity. It's kind of like a new Goldman Sachs. I think the closest closest person to seeing this is is Andreessen Horowitz, A16Z, because they could be an ex-Goldman Sachs. Like the Goldman, if you look at the stock price of Goldman, you know, it's like inevitable. Like, yeah, they'll have a business, obviously. And and JP Morgan, we're seeing the, the power of leverage there. They could theoretically go out of business. Like, I mean, who knows what they're really worth, right? Whereas Morgan Stanley at least took some interesting risk and you're right, it was laid up, like the Angelist slash Andreessen slash Carta, like those success stories, and what Morgan did with E-Trade and Soli and whatever, you know, is kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and I think, listen, I think, when I think about the capital market side, I think there's still so much opportunity, and just, you know, capital allocation, but I'm like, listen, what will be true forever? What will be true forever is there will be people who have capital who want to invest it for a rate of return mm. and people who want capital and are willing to pay for it. Love like that. So those two things Canoe. will be true forever. What do you think? I like that. Yeah. Write that down. That's the headline. That's right. the headline. <laughs> there is pe- like, that's just one truism. That is just one truism. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And now it's like, and then how do you connect them? And it's like, listen, like, you know, brokerages did a great job being the lubricant of that, of those two parties for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I do think it's, you know, don't underestimate the, the Goldman's and the J.J. Moore's world. They are full of insane. I'm not underestimating. I don't see them as growth them. engines. I'm not, not, you know, you buy the dip, but I don't yeah. love the companies. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think yeah. that. Well, I think that, that will be, it will be interesting to see how they diversify yeah. over the coming little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think it's, the companies who can kind of build the new pipes to connect those people and kind of be smarter about how the information flows between those groups. Mm-hmm. I mean, fundamentally the markets are always have always been and are always inefficient mm-hmm. based on the uh, asymmetry of information. So how can you apply information? It's funny. Um, the last little uh, anecdote I'll share on that is I read a book and it's called um, wall street, the great game, wall street's lies to prominence. Mm-hmm. 
So just a great game. And it's basically 400 years of history of, of American capital markets. Um, and people talk about high-frequency trading now. It's like, no, high-frequency trading existed 300 years ago. There was a system of almost like windmills between Philadelphia and New York that would transfer information faster than a horse could ride. So they built these, these windmill almost like structures to basically signal news that arrived in Philadelphia so that they could get it to the New York markets before the, the public generally knew it and trade ahead of it. Yeah, but windmills cause cancer. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder the cancer I mean, rate in Philly is so high. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, oh my God, that is incredible. You know, I wouldn't want to compete against Blair. What about you? You kind of are an athlete. Your brain is kind of athletic. You maybe have a stadium body, yeah, so. but you have an athletic brain. The, uh, and I yeah, think that's what made Katsuyama interesting. Like Flash, that was about brain athletes, polymath. You know what I mean? Like your, a- yeah, your brain totally. is the athlete here. And I think totally. uh, very few people apply it this deeply to fintech, which is probably why we hit it a lot, because you're way smarter than me. Um, and what do you think of what's going to implode fastest for me, like robo and passive investing. I think we're all seeing what, and maybe it'll pass. Like, you know, I I hate, I'm not that Mm -hmm. sophisticated around this, but it seems like, you know, the Dalio, Tony Robbins, passive 60, 40, 70, 30, you know, we'll just set one portfolio like a robo and we'll, we'll throw in some negative interest rate European bonds as 10% because, you know, it's diversified. Like I never understood that. And, and, yeah, yeah. And now some of these people think, are down thirty percent in a month, and I don't know. Yeah, well, I always, I always thought the the kind of the Achilles heel of robots was bull bags because someone wants someone to call, right? Like either you got to look yourself in the mirror, or you want to look someone else in the eyes and be like, "You just lost me a lot of money." Um, so I listen. I think there's definitely challenges for those. I think one of the interesting things is this whole pullback might get people more involved in actually understanding how their portfolio is allocated. No doubt. Right, which is That's why I'm excited about fintech. Them. Like there's yeah, always totally. long term, it's always a win. Crashes are always a win. Totally. I think. Well, and I think. Go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say. I was going to say. You know, there's a good quote like God must have loved the average man because he made so many of them. <laughs> I think the challenge will be is how do you get the average person excited about managing their own portfolio? And I don't know. The average person wants to set and forget. I just don't know whether set and forget is robo or something else. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I don't know what the average person. I think Acorn was a tremendous hook for people who don't have money to say pay myself yeah. first. You know, I'm finally watching my like pay me first. Like that was something you, your parents said. Just take some yeah. off the top. Now there's a software that yeah. does that, right? So that yeah. now everybody can copy that software product. So that's why I'd, I, you know it's a feature, not a company. Although Acorn's yeah. doing well. I think do-it-yourself investing while niche, like what Robinhood and StockTwits and, and, you know, work on and, and Coifin and ChartIQ and all the companies that we backed around do-it-yourself. Um, it may not be massive, like you said, like we, the big trend is the pa- like the small passive person, but the margins are much higher on the active person. And, yeah. and, and yeah. my bet is more people, because it's a global thing, will, you know, maybe, maybe as a percentage active doesn't increase, but we now have a global population of those same type of people that will be active. Yeah. So, or is there, is there, is there a midpoint? Yeah. I mean, a there's a midpoint. I haven't figured out. Have you thought through what a midpoint is or you don't care? Yeah. No, yeah. no, I think it's one of those things where I'll know when I see it, but yeah. I, like, I, haven't I haven't seen it, but it. that that's very interesting. Yeah. If I saw something that was, that could do both, it's hard because a phone, you know, an app, can only do 
one thing well. I mean, Tencent, obviously, thrown aside. But in America, people like jujitsu. People like, you know, they don't like one app to do everything. Yeah. You know? Well, I think the other thing is, from a, like, it might be a combination of passive. It's like, hey, your money's just put into this ETF. And then it, like, put, sends push notifications. It's like, hey, notice that you just walked into a Nike. You want to buy some stock there? Come here are the three big points on the company. Like, boom. Oh, so AI combined with with passive. Yeah, base pa- yeah, based mm. on like a foundation of passive with like some kind of intelligent active on top of it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So if you see something, send that to me in my private email. <laughs> Dude, you see everything. Canute, you see I, no, I think <laughs> the reason I'm doing this podcast is why you totally get it, is that is my job. Like your job is to not run oh. out of money. My totally. job is to it, to be do, be good at my job. I have to see everything. Now, I'm going to be wrong. Yeah, pa- like I passed on Carta. Like I saw it. That was my job. I made a mistake for many reasons in passing. Okay. But at least I was in the batter's box. So I'm, I'm not doing my job if I don't talk about this stuff and see it. But I think what you're saying, AI, so if people are, are listening, if you can send me. I haven't seen a good one. I'd see people send me this, but I don't think the world was quite ready. But I think yeah. that, could, that could be interesting. AI meets, meets passive. Something tied into your wallet and spending too. You know, yeah, like I think I think that's really cool because it ties the consumer into the story. Because you kind of know like, man, the stories. Already, like if you're yeah. spending all your money at Netflix, Nike, Google, like the eight to eighty brands that I talk about, well, you should be excited about fifty percent pullbacks, uh-huh. right? And then your uh-huh. AI should remind you, hey, you promised yourself that when Nike was down fifty percent, and and uh, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the company other than you know half the country's dying, but they'll they'll, they'll you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, you promised yourself you would you would buy the stock. So exactly. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. And yeah. Well, um, there's some really weird future structure where you like, they, they mutualize to some degree with like, Hey, if you're a Netflix subscriber, you can get shares for 95% of market value. Yeah. I think that's, that's I've seen some startups do that. I just don't know how you, I think it has to be integrated into a bigger, Yeah, that feels totally. more like a feature, but I think that feature yeah. should exist for sure. Yeah. And uh, all right. Well, I am, uh, I'm a little bit, tired from talking to you not your fault it's just, <laughs> you're smart the and then you're getting married correct i got married uh you're getting Already. married correct <laughs> no, i'm kidding no, no, you I got, got married thanks for the invite <laughs> it's okay the coronavirus yeah, yeah. i wouldn't have come in yeah anyway. thanks for the present oh well this is the present <laughs> this is worth three hundred dollars <laughs> to your brand can I, can I get a refund or how does that work <laughs> the uh so where'd you guys get married <laughs> uh in uh waterloo yeah checking out southern ontario Oh, the Waterloo. It's the Bangladesh of Canada. I don't even <laughs> yeah, know what that hey, means. Yeah, what, so you went to school at Waterloo, didn't you? Uh, I went to school at Laurier, which is in Waterloo. It's like the like the like less intelligent step cousin of Waterloo. Back in the Blackberry days. Is Waterloo still yeah, booming because of Blackberry World and the good schools? I think, yeah, I think Waterloo's booming because of good schools, a lot of talent from the Blackberry days, and like a healthy tech ecosystem. Elon Musk went to school up there. Uh, he went or to Queens. Queens. Yeah, you're right. He went to Queens. <laughs> yes. And, not quite a booming ecosystem of Queens. But, and how you know. is Toronto on the startup scene before I head out? I think it's really good. I think, listen, I think there's a lot of companies that are on the journey now. I don't know how many people are waiting at the docks to depart. Like mm-hmm. I think the early stage is, is a little, uh, a little slimmer, but there's great companies doing a lot of big things. And I think, you know, we've had quite a few uh, breakout stories in the last little while. And I think there's, you know, people building, I think Toronto, Toronto doesn't do a lot of consumer 
but on mm-hmm. the SMB enterprise, you know, kind of companies that actually make money, which is the thing to be doing right now. Mm-hmm. I think they're they're doing really well and kind of stepping it up. And I think I, there's a lot of talent now that that's doing its second journey. Yeah. Well, I mean, Matt Golden, my friend, does some consumer there, and he's doing well yeah. doing it. Right. You know, skip yeah. the dishes. Yeah. And re- they've they've got the cool yeah. portfolio. So that's who I talked to in Toronto. And he's yeah. near. He's in, he's yeah. who introduced us, I think. Yeah, he was because uh, he's like fintech. I don't say Howard. He likes fintech. And again, um, that is my yeah. job is to make sure that yeah. you know the people show me it at least. Like I don't, you know, that's 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 everybody doing yeah. their good job. All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time on a Saturday. Um, but Always. I think yeah, the I world the world's not ending, is it? You're bullish. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. The looting hasn't started yet. At least that's for sure. No, I'm still very bullish. I think. Listen, this is a a crisis. Crises come. Crises go. This too shall pass, and it's going to be uh, a, a major opportunity for people who think about what will change in the next epoch. All right, beautiful. We'll have you back on Frothy with Friends when the market turns. We're going to change it. We go from. What do you think of that, Canute? Frothy with Friends. Brilliant. Frothy with friends. Oh, brilliant. Buy everything. Buy, no, Frothy with Friends is just we're going to make fun of all the people that went out of business because they panicked. So it'll be the other side yeah. of panic with friends. And I'm yeah. sure you'll be there. So I'll see you on the other side. Uh, stay well in Toronto. You too. Stay well. All right. See you, buddy. Thanks, guys. Sure. Bye. Huh? He needs he needs a little bit of shot of coffee, doesn't? Don't you think? <laughs> That's like every time I talk to him, I'm like, oh, I'm caught up for a year. <laughs> well, he put about an hour and a half worth into 45 minutes. I'm saying every time I spend time with him in Toronto, it's like the smartest guy I know. And like you know, there's so many smart people around the world, and Toronto has so many smart people. And it's just somehow I tapped into his brain, and uh, it moves it like Mach two. And the fact that he got Formation H O Lonsdale is like he's got some real smart money. And uh, 0.7. So we invested way back as a seed investor. I think just I met him and I'm like, he's not going to steal money. I can't fully understand where it's going to go. It's taken six years to get this far, but you can see how people, these are the type of people that build huge companies. Mm-hmm. And the crisis is, you know, comes along. If you're, if you're at this long enough, a crisis comes along. All right, everybody, hopefully that helps, but that really ended up being more about fintech, which I'm kind of excited about. And, uh, FinTech will be on the other side of this panic as well. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll see you soon.